Last time out, Jason and I were waxing lyrical about Kevin Kelly's new rules for a new economy. So in this episode, we're going to finish off that stuff and we're going to look at why prosumers are not consumers now. You're listening to Digital Bacon FM. Top of the hour it is, 10 o'clock, joined on the line from Hong Kong by our good friend, Stephen Barnes. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Was that um, you recording the noise outside of my office window? Because that sounds (laughs) very much like the Hong Kong cacophony. (laughs) It does indeed. I'm not sure where that is from. Perhaps New York or Hong Kong, who knows? But it was uh, certainly a fitting introduction. Um, I've had quite a few of them uh, from you down the months and years, and uh, uh, it was pretty average. (laughs) Very nice way to start a Friday. How are you, you old bugger? Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. It's been a very, very long week, and it's been a very long day. I started... my activities at 9.30 this morning and I haven't literally haven't stopped since. So I'm going to enjoy myself with you for another half an hour. And then I've got one final meeting with a client uh, this afternoon. And then I shall be in holiday weekend mode because I'm ready for it. Although I've got to work tomorrow as well. Mm. So I started my day 3.15 a.m. You started yours at 9.30. Let's see who has a longer day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, let's qualify this, right? I'm not the man of proverbial leisure hanging out in my pad with a view of the Drakensberg with my, you know, fully equipped radio station in my back garden with a gym next door with, you know, just all the pleasantries that come with living in beautiful South Africa, barring, of course, all the challenges associated with uh, connectivity and electricity. But we talked about that last week, so I won't go that again. And the other thing you forgot to add with the benefit of much fewer years under the belt. Formal education counts for everything, <laughs> yeah. does it not? Yeah, no. <laughs> it does indeed. Right, picking up where we left off last week, the new rules for a new well, economy. Indeed, yeah. So again, backstop for listeners that are joining us for the first time is um, uh, how to build a monopoly from nothing with no money invested, um, moving from the connection from the industrial economy to the connection economy. Uh, new business models are emerging as a result of the new phenomenon that it is the connection economy. Mm. Uh, and we've developed a new business model called intelligent content marketing. And we've got a whole raft of material that uh, you and I are working our way through every week, mm. uh, incrementally, little by little. Um, and last week we started with uh, what is really sort of module six out of 10 modules, being chapter 24 out of 36 chapters. Um, which uh, we're talking about all roads leading to Rome. Um, and I, uh, I set off last week talking about how I was influenced and indeed positively impacted by the work of Kevin Kelly, one of my intellectual heroes, in his book, New Rules for a New Economy, a 1999 book. Mm. Um, and, you know, we covered off things like uh, in the connection economy, it starts with technology and ends with trust. And that the central imperative of the connection economy is basically to amplify relationships. Um, these two phenomena essentially lead to, you know, the creation of a dynamic where ultimately all roads will lead to Rome um, when people who are looking for what you're all about 
are able to find you because you've delivered you know, such amazing value by answering their questions, helping to solve their problems and um, assisting them with the, the jobs to be done that, that they need to get done. Mm-hmm. So uh, those were two sort of parts of uh, Kevin Kelly's thinking, which um, you know really influenced me, as I said. Um, Another another couple of things that uh, we can begin to talk about today that uh, emanate from Kevin Kelly's work. Um, prosumers are are, um, are not consumers now, um, and what that kind of means is that it used to be in the industrial economy that uh, somebody would have an idea for a product, they'd manufacture the product, they'd set out a shingle, um, and then they'd say, "This is what I've got to sell. Do you want to buy it? Yes or no." Mm. Um, but actually, in the connection economy, because you have the ability to uh, connect with your consumers in such a way that uh, the technology available allows them to become prosumers. Um, and what that means is that they're not just passively taking on what you have to offer. You've got the opportunity with the construct of the connection economy to actually yeah, offer something that is uh, customized and tailored to the exact specifications of the customer that's looking for you know what you have to offer mm. and, a, and a really good example of this Jason is um, the Barbie doll you know 25 years ago when my daughters were uh, either a twinkle in my eye or just about to be born the Barbie doll was about to figure large on my scene right having two daughters mm. uh, well when I was buying Barbie dollars during their early years, it was a case of, you know, off to Toys R Us and let them wander up and down the Barbie section and tell them that they can choose one thing for their birthday or choose one thing for Christmas. And off they'd go and they'd sort of, you know, pick what they needed from um, the shelf of Barbie offerings. And that was it. Off to the cashier. Uh, pay your money, take your choice, you're done. These days, of course. <laughs> oh, there's days, some excitement course. in the house of Barnes for Christmas and birthdays, I tell you. <laughs> no, no, no gift wrapping, no none of that. Get down to the shop and choose your own present, you little brat. Well, you know, start off as you mean to go on. Uh, yeah, presents are one thing, Christmas is another. Uh-huh. It's always separate the presents from the experience of, uh, of Christmas, but... Uh, yeah, so these days, of course, with Barbie, you no longer truck down to Toys R Us where you can't because they've gone bust. That's yeah. another example of the <laughs> industrial economy business not recognizing the world was changing. But yeah, um, instead of shuffling off to Toys R Us, now what you do is you shuffle off to the Barbie section on the website, on the internet, right? Mm. And then if you do that, you're faced with all these amazing opportunities to customize your Barbie doll to exactly what you want it to be. Mm. You know, so in that, that's an example of where you're a prosumer, okay. um, not a consumer. And the, 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 the game today is ultimately to create what the customer wants. Okay. So you, as a prosumer, you create what the customer wants. And then uh, in the exercise of creating what the customer wants, you remember what the customer wants. Um, and that gives you the opportunity to going forward, anticipate what the customer wants. Uh, and then after they have sort of got what they've got from you or they're thinking about what they've got from you, you've got the opportunity to, you know, make suggestions that will change what the customer wants. Okay. So Kevin Kelly set, set out the reality back way back then that the internet was going to introduce this new dynamic where um, the phenomenon of consuming would adjust to prosuming. 
Uh, and uh, I think we, we see quite a lot of that these days. How but about you? Have you prosumed No, but I've got two <clears throat> examples. One one is just related to me from a, from a mate of mine who was in the computer industry, and Dell changed <clears throat> their business model uh, for computers and that you couldn't really walk into a shop and buy one. Uh, by and large, you ordered it. And what they, the reason they did it that way was so that they kept their stock holding low. So yeah. I can see that as a as a as a way to uh, to to maximize your business. But I, you know, that's not really a prosumer. As uh, I, I suppose it could be, but I think this was it before is. the days. Yeah. Um, but this was. Well, I, I, think, I think to be honest, to be honest, I think that's what that, that's a brilliant example, and I think it's one of the early examples. Yeah, of before the internet. Presenting itself. Yeah. 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 And I, I think they did that out of a business need rather than an inclusion or creating a tribe to be able to customize it. I suppose they, they got the best of both worlds by doing it. Now, when, when you say you create what the customer needs, let's, let's go to another brilliant invention that nobody knew they needed until they got it. The iPod. Right. Yeah. Was, was that done with, um, with, interaction Cross, from was in mind yes no no i mean that no that, that was a piece of hardware but it's a classic prosumer driven business because for the first time you could have ten thousand songs in your pocket mm. right you could never do that before so where, where apple came good was they recognized that you needed the hardware to deliver the music experience but most importantly you needed the catalog uh, of music that you know could be played on that hardware Mm. Uh, and there, thereby, because you you were able to um, use iTunes to essentially buy only the music that you, you really wanted to buy, pay for only the tracks that you wanted to, to buy. I mean, you will remember having LPs, right? When you were a teenager, what, 60, 70 years I've still got them ago. in the studio. <laughs> you slipped that one in, didn't you? Yeah, nothing um, gets past yes. me, Barnes. So you need to, you know, you'd have to fork out for what? 10, 10 songs on an album that you might, might only like, but one, mm -hmm. one or two of them, really. Correct. Um, so Apple gave you the ability finally just to purchase the music that you wanted and not you know, have to buy an entire package at an elevated inflated price. Mm. So, yeah, so the, the, I, think, I think, again, the, um, the iPod uh, and the iTunes phenomenon was an early indication uh, of the prosuming the phenomenon beginning to materialize as a result of the technology infrastructure that we call the connection economy now. I suppose coming into play. Best described by anticipate what the customer wants. All that, of course, but I suspect that uh, Steve Jobs and uh, Michael Dell probably read New Rules for a New Economy by Kevin Kelly and was uh, suitably inspired, as I was too. No, oh, they probably sat across a, a breakfast table, had some coffee, and discussed the ideas, things that you and I will never get the luxury of doing. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> a little bit of cash helps that. That does. That does. Yes. But when you're uh, when you're when your ready market is Underberg or Hong Kong, <laughs> you're not really going to be able to generate the kind of revenues that you can generate in the American economy or the global economy once you're Dell or Apple, for that matter. Well, what was that expression? I'm so poor I can't even afford to pay attention. <laughs> well, there's a lot of value in attention these days. It's the only <laughs> thing that counts, right? Absolutely. So you've got all of mine. Make it make it work. Send me some cash. <laughs> right. Relationship network network effects. Yeah, well another another phenomenon that they you know, Kevin Kelly talks about in his book, uh, New Rules for New Economy, is that uh, because of the connected nature of everybody, you stop being individual silos of opportunity. 
uh, and you start to become, you know, a potential networked collection of of silos that, you know, collectively are in, able to deliver a lot more value and achieve a lot more reach. Because, you know, a network where two members investing in it increases its value twice as fast as a single person investing. So, you know, uh, look at the reach that you and I have got between the two of us versus mm -hmm. the reach that you might have by yourself and the reaches the reach that I might have by myself. Sure. My, my network is automatically your network, right? And these days, uh, that's reflected itself technologically and with the outcomes that you can achieve from the application of that technology to mm. achieve network effects. And, um, uh, and Kevin Kelly, you know, tapped into this way, way back when. Mm. Well, you know, there's, there's going to be some topical debate on that, uh, tapping into other people's networks and with the restrictions that I'm sure are bound to come with all of these social media apps, that they're going to close those, close those avenues. Yeah, but I still think that, you know, that the rest of the world, seven, well, seven billion people in the world, once they're all connected, then essentially any uh, any possibilities are, uh, well, many possibilities are inevitable. Mm. Um, some will always be a bit nefarious and will, will need uh, cutting down to size. But, you know, those people that are, or those actors that are ethical uh, and honest, um, transparent and show the vulnerability, deliver value first, um, position themselves to answer questions, help solve problems, deliver on the projects of getting jobs to be done for people. Um, that's a winning proposition and uh, irrespective of how, um, you know, network effects are uh, going to get cut down in certain instances as a general phenomenon applicable to me, immortals like you and me, mm. uh, that's absolutely swinging in my favour. Okay. Okay, so next up, Kevin Kelly. Um put me onto you know the reality that expertise now resides in thematical customers um the world's best experts in your product or service jason they don't work for you they are your clients or they're the hobby tribe um really really interesting example of this was um uh, i think I've, we may have talked about this before whether over a meal or whether we've, we've done it on air um, but there was an example of a guy in the Ukraine, I think he was, who um, had this intrinsic sort of interest in the configuration challenges of a certain kind of router, which is a piece of internet hardware equipment uh, that was configured for you know certain uses. And apparently, whilst this router was an excellent piece of kit, the challenges associated with configuring it and making it work, making its software work with others, its drivers and all that kind of stuff, you know, it was a bit of a mon monumental challenge. Mm. And um, you would expect that the company that manufactured that router and marketed it would own the responsibility for addressing all the issues associated with, with its use and its, con you know, its configuration. Sure. Well, lo and behold, it transpires that uh, the... The party that became the de facto expert um, on the configuration of that particular router was this guy in the Ukraine. It wasn't the company. He had no relate, no commercial relationship with the company whatsoever. He was such an otaku, which is Japanese uh, uh, Japanese concept of just being a complete maniac for something. He was such an otaku for uh, you know configuring this particular router. I think he answered voluntarily. 
um, on the public sort of forum associated with the company's website. Something like 10,000 individual queries wow. from, from uh, device users um, as to how you go about solving configuration problems. Um, so, yeah, there you had a complete, good and clear example of how expertise was residing in, you know, the head of a fanatical customer rather than the um, um, rather than the company as well, uh, company itself. And how did it work out for him in the end? Well, I guess he was doing it for his own devices. Clearly wasn't, um, you know, involved in it for any kind of compensation unless he somehow turned that into uh, you know monetized it and mm. delivered a service on the back of it uh that wasn't the point behind this particular sure. you know uh, um uh concept that uh or reality i should say that kevin kelly illustrates here um it just goes to show that when somebody's truly interested in what you're all about they will follow you and they'll become um very well versed in what you're all about and they kind of in a sense they like to emulate you mm. uh, and because they get value out of it in their own way um, essentially they become experts uh, and fanatics so mm. uh, Kevin Kelly suggested this and I've seen it yeah I I am um, I've started doing a different kind of exercise as you know and you know you go to the internet looking for all sorts of stuff so I've got a book on gymnastics and this chap that very, very uh, well-written book. Um, he'd done a lot of his work on Reddit. Now, I've always, yeah. I've always held Reddit in very low regard, especially after the Boston uh, Marathon bombings, uh, where they just tried to bloody solve it and outed people that weren't involved at all. Um, so I've always been wary of it and didn't really explore it. Um, but because he, he made reference to um, having answered a lot of people's questions about his book on Reddit, I went and had a look. Um, and it's filled with communities of people discussing every bloody subject under the sun, solving Reddit people's is, yeah. problems. Yeah. But is, yeah. how do you then manage the good and bad of it? Um, okay. Well, my take on that is that if you're operating on Reddit, and I, I don't know that platform very much at all. I've, I've tried to have a, I've tried to dabble with it once or twice, and I couldn't understand how it worked. Mm. Uh, so I don't really know how it works. But, but assuming, assuming that you've developed, uh, in a sense, of following on a re following on Reddit, what you should be doing is using Reddit to take those people off Reddit onto your own website. Mm. where you can control matters more and begin to, you know, separate those punters that you've got from those who want to pay and those that do want to pay, mm. uh, like we've discussed previously. So I think you separate the wheat from the chaff that way by essentially creating the relationship ostensibly or the interest in the relationship by somewhere like Reddit, uh, and then off that, take them off Reddit and get them onto your own website and then just go through the normal processes of screening those that, uh, that you know, uh, want to pay for stuff that you've got to sell and, uh, and then accommodate those that don't want to pay with resources that allow them to achieve their objectives nonetheless, because eventually they may want to pay or they may, you know, recommend what you're all about to somebody who does ultimately want to pay. So, you know, that phenomenon is, we, we do that with the Hong Kong Visa Center ourselves right now with um, specifically Facebook. We have a Facebook page called the Hong Kong Visa Handbook Discussion Forum. Um, gets found a lot. We get uh, a lot of people commenting, asking questions, um, and we very quickly take them off uh, our Facebook page and get them onto the website where we can sort of control the environment because mm. of the way we've crafted our proposition.
Mm. And do you, do you think people these days, or, or maybe people always, have had a sense of wanting to be part of a community, or do they really just go there to get the question answered? Well, I think I, I think need drives you to find the solution, mm. but there is the common condition of humankind where we want to, uh, you know, collaborate and uh, and hang out and you know be with others because we are a social animal, right? Mm. Very true. I think it's I think it's inevitable. That's why tribes tribes do emerge because the moment you've got a community of interests, even though you may have nothing else in common, if you've got that one thing in common and that location that you go to where all those others are interested in that one that you that one thing that you've got in common, then it's you know it's, it's pretty easy to sort of you know get on in that environment. I'm a uh, I'm a member of the uh, of the Genesis tribe, and there's a, there's quite a few groups on Facebook. There's one particular group on Facebook called Genesis Access All Eras. Um, so it goes back basically to the band starting in 1969. And there's it's about 10,000 people on the um, in the group. Uh, and, you know, it's just nice to hang out with these people and have these sort of, you know, their musings and clips from, you know, various concerts and sort of, you know, flotsam and jetsam about the band that you may know have known about. It's sort of you know, nice to have that flowing through your sort of social media stream because it populates a part of your life, right? Mm. Okay. Where to next, good sir? Yeah. Well, okay, so sort of coming to the last two parts of Kevin Kelly's, last two key takeaways of Kevin Kelly's book, New Rules for New Economy, um, essentially uh, he makes, made the point that privacy is a conversation. Um Privacy is not a customer obsession to beat. Rather, it's a way to cultivate a genuine relationship. Now, let me sort of elaborate on that for you, mm. how that's manifested itself in the Hong Kong Visa Center. In the Hong Kong Visa Center, right, we're technologically enabled. We gather a significant amount of data that we need to understand in order to do our job. Now, if you were to look at the kind of data that we naturally collect on our clients in order for us to do our job. You could, if you were, in a sense, you know, Machiavellian or were less than respectful of the, you know, relationships that you've got with your customers and the reason why they're giving their data. Um, you could, if you were Facebook, conceptually come in, get all the data that we have on our customers and then begin to, you know, analyze that data, cross-match that data, do all kinds of things that would allow you to glean insights and understandings about the customers that came to us, basically with a visa problem that we said we'd solve for them. Um, it's completely unethical, in my view, to take the data that we have secured in order to solve an immigration problem and then use it in alternate ways, even with the client's disclosure or permission uh, set out in our data privacy policy, which which we we don't do this, and it's not in our data privacy policy because we don't do it. But it had, if we did have the mechanism inside our data privacy policy to enable this, knowing that the vast majority of customers probably wouldn't look at it and wouldn't mm. and would be opting in by default. Well, we're not going to do that because, as far as I'm concerned, that data has been given to us purely to get a visa. Uh, it's data that's inimically private to the to the client, and 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 we've been, you know, trusted. We're trusted custodians of all this personal information for them, um, and it's sacrosanct. So we treat their personal data uh, just like it's our own personal data. 
Um, so, you know, privacy, as you say, is a conversation. It's a, it's a way to, um, to, to maintain relationships and to garner trust uh, and to, to gain the respect of the people that you have a relationship with, knowing that you do actually respect that, um, uh, you, do, you do actually respect that, uh, uh, that data that you're giving in order to do your job. And, and it just seems to me that, you know, the vast majority of new businesses, they really don't give a hoot about this. They see everything as a potential data play anyway. Um, and they're going to get your data and they're going to do what the hell, what, they, what the hell, what they want with that data. Until so, they start getting no, prosecuted. Indeed, yeah, indeed. So I'm I'm quite proud of the fact that for me, Hong Kong Visa Centre will never be a data, a big data play, notwithstanding the fact that we can glean all kinds of insights from it. Mm. Now, you know, those um those entrepreneurs who understand the true value of data would say, Ah, do you know what an amazing, you know, fiscal opportunity you're passing up? Uh, well, yeah, I do actually know what an amazing fiscal opportunity I'm, I'm passing up. But you know what's more important to me? More important to me is every single one of those clients that I've got a relationship with that they trust me, mm. um, and uh, that value is, is is far in advance of um, what you might be able to glean from a data play, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. Mm. Very true. Right, yeah. so let's let's put a cap on it so there. Let, let's bid a, a fond farewell and have a wonderful weekend in the Drakensberg. And you too, good sir. Chat to you next Friday. Digital Bacon FM. So if you've come with us this far, you're surely very well prepared to craft your irresistible business proposition by now. So join us next time to get more deep and dirty on how to figure out what you really sell. Thank you.